This episode is brought to you by America's Rehab Campus. Get on the road to recovery with the best rehab in beautiful Arizona. Dial 1-833-272-7342. That's 1-833-ARC-REHAB. Ladies and gentlemen, you are now tuned in to the Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Rcast. My name is Buddha. I'm Matt Jefferson. Yes, we got Jefferson in here. Michaela's with us. Ryan is with us. We have a lot of people in the studio today. It is a very, very, very special episode. Ladies and gentlemen, I have a lot of nostalgia going on in my head right now. Very blessed to have the special guest that we have today. Ladies and gentlemen, give a warm round of applause. You know him. You've heard of his music before, Jimmy World. Ladies and gentlemen, Jim Atkins. What is going on, brother? Hey, how's it going, everybody? Oh, thank you. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Oh, no, no, please sit down. Sit down. No, it's okay. Really, really okay. Heck yeah, man. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing really well. Yeah? Yeah, thanks. Yeah, man. Thank you for coming by. How was tour? You just got back from tour, right? Uh, we're sort of always on tour. Really? No no off time? Well, it doesn't... There's breaks in it, okay. but it's kind of a perpetual thing since I was a kid, really. Wow. It kind of doesn't stop. Did you guys do that show in Vegas? That huge festival? Did yes. Did that ever happen? How was that? Yes. I thought it was awesome. It was really cool. Really? Yeah. We were, um, I was trying to get tickets for the show next year, the one that's coming up with Blink and everybody. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. Like I, I said, I, uh, before we started the show, I, I got my son introduced to all of the good music that I used to listen to growing up. Like, I just, you know, I feel like you got to show kids the right way. There's so much trash out there right now, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, you can, you can steer them a certain direction for sure, but at some point it's got to be their idea. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Absolutely. So I, it was, it's around the time of his birthday and every single band on there is people that he's like, love. So we were trying oh, to get great. tickets, and that thing sold out in like two minutes, bro. Couldn't even get through the website. So how many bands? <sighs> like sixty or something. Oh dumb. shit! No, and probably less than that. But I mean, it might as well be sixty. Yeah, you'll never, never see everything. How yeah. how uh, was it? Was it pretty organized? The festival? Because I keep thinking of uh, Woodstock '99, that documentary on Netflix. Oh god, <laughs> <laughs> that was horrible. Yeah, you'll never let your kids go to an event ever if you watch that. Oh yeah, dude, that was crazy. It was it was really really terrible. Um, it was better than that. Good. Uh, it was it was. I mean, from my perspective, it seemed like what you'd expect from a festival in any like urban city okay. environment like some some festivals are like in the middle of nowhere and they're like you you go there and you gotta you're, you're camping basically for three days yeah uh this was you know in vegas like right off the strip and um there were some logistical issues for sure there's <laughs> there's going to be at any of these things you know but the uh day one was was canceled because of uh basically a month a, a gnarly monsoon all day with like high winds Wow. 
And that's the thing that I was that I was had my brain going is because the first festival hadn't even started yet, and they were already selling tickets for the second festival. Right. And then you have all those people on Facebook that are like, "Hey, bro, better be careful. This shit doesn't seem legit." You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I mean it was it was legit, and I'm sure that the uh, the that first day getting canceled probably didn't play into anyone's. It probably played two people's wacky conspiracy ideas, <laughs> but everybody there saw. There's no way you can do this safely. And even if you could do it safely, it'd be miserable. Jeez. Like imagine like an Arizona monsoon, like the worst you've ever seen it all day. Yeah. And try, and try to figure out a way to have like PA flying in that, you know, like, <laughs> no. Everyone's all drunk. They don't even realize it. Like, oh, let's fucking do it. I can Part just of imagine. The show. Oh, no, yeah. I can get, yeah. No, I mean, at this point, I think people, safety in the industry has come a long way. Let me just say that. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. That's good, man. Well, hey, dude, like like I said, we know before we started, almost three decades, man, that you guys have been together. First album dropped in 93. Yes. Next year, 2023, will be our 30th year doing this. Congratulations. Oh my One God. more time, bro. I had to. No, no, no. Sit down. Sit down, really, guys. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. That's awesome. So, you know, for me, so many questions, even before we get into, you know, your childhood and stuff. But it's like most people that I know, especially nowadays, can't even stay in a relationship for three months, let alone have a band with, you know, four gentlemen, you know, going as long as you guys have. So that's fantastic. What's the secret with that? Oh, man, I think we were extremely fortunate that the environment we had was was supportive and um encouraging in just the right ways to form what we needed to do this for so long okay. like you know we, we we knew each other as friends before the band got going which okay. i think kind of helps yeah you know? absolutely like me and the drummer his name's zach his mother was our preschool teacher oh really wow. yeah so we all kind of came up in the same public school system and um you know it was kind of more about just being friends and having fun even before the band thing came about, like I would go over to our drummer's house and we would just kind of jam all weekend, not really like writing songs or anything, but just, I don't know what we did, probably like Metallica songs maybe. That's cool. And it was just about having fun. And then later on when you get older and people start forming bands and things, it's like, you know, in Mesa at the time, playing in a band wasn't cool. You know, like there, there wasn't like Disney shows dedicated where everyone's in high school. <laughs> Everyone at the high school is in a band. It's a it's a high school for people in bands like that. No, that yeah. wasn't how. So you kind of got to know everybody who played, and you definitely got to know the people who liked the same kind of music you did because there weren't many of them. Yeah, you know. So it was like a you know a tight knit sort of community, and you know you're in Mesa. People beyond that community don't care. Yeah, and it's really difficult to get what you're doing outside of that so it's like you you kind of have to um you focus on it for the reward of doing it itself yeah and that's all you have you know it's like we sort of did it to be part of the community is that you know like yeah, yeah like playing the music part of it was rewarding but i mean you know there's there's a ceiling to what you can expect so you kind of readjust your expectations to manage that okay and you know you just kind of like take that and yeah. extend it outward and you can have a career yeah you know what i mean like i, I still don't really take any of this seriously that's cool man <laughs> like i take what we do seriously but i don't like i think i have reasonable expectations for it yeah at every turn you know and we're still friends you know we still put like having fun as the main thing 
That's cool. And did you guys go to school with Tom too? Is that you guys are all friends from back in the day? Yeah. Well, uh, Tom and Rick went to a different high school than me and Zach. Okay. But you know, it's all just kind of in the same. That's what's up, brother. Well, let, well, let's 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 go back. Are you from? You were born and raised in Mesa, Arizona. I was born in Kansas and uh, moved around a little bit as a little kid. Little kid, wee lad, and then ended up here in um, like I said, I preschool. Oh, nice kindergarten. Okay. So I'm K through twelve. And uh, do you have a you have a lot of siblings? Is it just you? Uh, just one, one brother, older, younger, younger, younger brother, younger. What'd your parents do for work? My dad's a veterinarian. Nice. Oh, nice. That's way cool. And my mom, uh, she did a, she did a couple things, but ended up just kind of being stay at home parent for for as long as I can remember. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's cool. And then um, so you went to you went to school in Mesa. You guys grew up in that same house, stayed there for. A long time, right? Is that the same house? Yeah. Yeah. My childhood home was basically uh like from from like first grade on, I think. Kindergarten on was like the same place. Okay. Really just you know, straight vanilla middle class as it gets, kinda. Yeah. Know? East side of east side of Mesa, that's that kind of says it all. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, then now it's sort of like central Mesa for how much it's grown no it's it's grown it's huge it's i mean huge. imagine any suburb of la and it's kind of just yeah. that well oh, i remember okay. moved, really i moved to tempe in 93 94 and the 101 went from university to southern yeah that was the only 101 strip <laughs> yeah the 202 oh, wow. didn't even ex- exist nope. like take it from mesa to, to tempe you had yeah. to take like mcdowell or rolled university yeah or rolled brown until it got to Rio Salado. And then over. <laughs> old school stuff, yeah. Man. All right, so how were you in school? Like, academically, were you a good student? Yeah, it was probably like B-. minus. I felt like I, I didn't really struggle, but I, I don't really struggle. I felt okay. like, you know, but I, wasn't, I was, wasn't the smartest kid by far, you know. No, I feel you. And music has always been a part of your life. Were you guys doing music? I'm not you guys, but yeah. were you doing music even back then? Yeah, my my parents had me take piano lessons when I was really young, and I think maybe around um, early '80s, like the birth of MTV. Yeah, kind of. You know, like I, I, good I, time, I was, man. Oh man, that guitar looks really cool. I want to play guitar instead, so I, I switched to playing guitar in like second grade, I think. Oh, second grade. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> Who were your uh, early influences? Like uh, anything on MTV. It was basically like the hair metal stuff. Yeah. Was kind of the most exciting look. I was like, oh, dude, I want to play. Oh, dude. Like that. Little poison. Dude's rolling around with like this glowing sword. And there's this, you know, these chicks on this scaffolding, like yeah. in the wasteland. That looks rad. Oh, yeah. That's like, one of the things, too. I wanted to, like, you know, get into that in, in a little bit, but like a praise course. I think of that song from the Bleed American album and all the references and stuff. Like you guys have always came off as a band that really appreciates and respects the creative art of the making of the music, you know, from all different types of genres. Yeah. I mean, I think the kinds of music I like have been all over the place. Like my, uh, from my earliest memory, you know, like all over the place That's cool. uh, from, from like the kind of classical guitar things that I was listening to trying to work, through I took lessons like pretty much the whole time I was I was I was growing up and you know like studying that to like 
you know, like the, the metal things that, that kind of, as time went on, kind of morphed into more aggressive and aggressive metal. Like I, <laughs> I got out, I got out years. of, yeah, I got out of Quiet Riot and Twisted Sister and got more into like Anthrax and Metallica. <laughs> Heck yeah. You know, sort of, sort of, and then eventually ditched that entirely for like Dead Kennedys and <laughs> the yeah. punk stuff. So it was like kind of, you know, this, but the whole time I was listening to stuff like Violent Femmes, you know, so it's, it's a mix. It's all over the place. Yeah. Any hip hop? Oh, you know, a, a little bit. I kind of like my, my, my hip hop stuff kind of like started and stopped in a, in a, I've, I've sort of an arrested development with my hip hop repertoire at like, <laughs> yeah. at like a far side. That's kind of okay. where it stops. Hey, that's, that's all right, man. You got the essentials in there. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Heck yeah, dude. That's awesome. It's like souls of mischief and far side are kind of like, that's where, that's where it stopped. And then anything beyond that, I, I don't know. Okay, so you weren't like Tupac or any of those back in like the later '90s and stuff. That was no, kind of like I was favorite. kind of I was kind of out of it by then. I mean, I followed like Dell a little bit after that, but, okay. but not. That's not badass, man. So you know, growing up, you said you were like a B minus student, right? You started uh, you were playing music from a young age. Did you have any addiction in your family at the time? Like, did you know of any family members that were addicts at the time? No, no, I didn't know of any family members that were addicts. So you didn't see it growing up? No. No, not at all. My parents were pretty were totally just straight, like not not us at all. <laughs> That's fun. And the, like not even like a glass of wine at dinner type of thing, nothing like that. Uh, it'd be rare. Okay. And at, at what point in your life did you start realizing like when did you have a drink for the first time? Cuz that that is your poison, right? That was the thing that you Yeah. I mean, it's kind of funny like, you know, I, I guess I'm kind of a rarity in that, yeah. Like, you know, but I mean, it it uh, it's it's one of those things. I think if you're looking for the differences, you're going to find them, and that is one thing that I noticed or picked up on early. That like, yeah, that's kind of my thing. You know, this this isn't it doesn't seem to be anyone else around me's thing. It's kind of like the the grab bag of whatever. Yeah. Um, but that's all it can take, really. You know, and like it doesn't need more than that. That can definitely mess things up. Oh yeah, absolutely. And you remember your first drink where you were like, "Hmm, I like this." Uh, I mean, probably just grabbing something out of the parents' like liquor cabinet. Do you remember what early? Maybe like eight or eight to ten ish. Okay. Were you more of an introvert or you're an extrovert? Oh, uh, you know, I think introvert. And the alcohol helped you come out, right? Uh, a bit more. Yeah, a little. <clears throat> I didn't really care if I came out or not. Gotcha. As the thing, like I was so, I was so like. I don't know. I mean, yeah, it instantly changes how you feel, <laughs> but, and that feels good. Yeah. There's a reason people do it. Yeah. Uh, but that wasn't like, it wasn't like, oh man, this is, um, now I can fit in. It wasn't, it wasn't that I wouldn't, I wouldn't categorize it quite like that. Okay. I mean, that was definitely part of it, but it yeah. wasn't like, this is the thing I was looking for and to fit in. Cause I, I, I felt like, I felt like I was, in a weird way, I felt like kind of both. Like I felt like I could sort of drift in between the cliques. Mm-hmm. You know, like I was accepted. Uh, I grew up. My my friends growing up were all like from LDS families. Okay, and you know, all of them were like totally straight arrow people. Um, and as I got more into in like junior high, high school, I kind of drifted more in toward the the freaks. <laughs> and um, so, but by, by by the end of my senior year of high school, I felt like 
I could float in between all of them, you know. Like I was yep. stoners, was, the preps, yeah, the jocks. The jocks. I was accepted by all. I could, you know, I was like, yeah. I, could, I could fit in with anyone. So, but at the same time, I did feel like this. I don't really. I can fit in anywhere, but I also don't belong anywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. You know, Absolutely, like man. Yeah. it wasn't. A, it wasn't an acceptance thing. I was an outward acceptance thing. I felt was lacking. You feel like the majority. I mean, my dad, for example, I feel like my dad is a very unique individual in that sense where. He doesn't really fit into a certain spot. But when I would see my dad on stage performing, I felt like then was the only time in his life where he felt like he belonged right there, like in that moment when he was on that stage performing. Do you feel that way? I feel like I have a purpose. Yeah. I feel like I've been doing it so long. I can, I, I, uh, it's a, it's a sort of like a special place you get to be. And within that is a unique experience that isn't like anything else. Okay. Short answer, yes. All right. Awesome. So, you know, we, we talked about the band being formed in 93. Was this around the time that you guys were in high school at the time? When did you graduate from high school? Yeah, our senior year of high school. That was I graduated, I graduated in 94, so. And that yeah. was the year your first album came out, was 94, correct? Yeah. All right. Yeah, like, um, oh, God, you're asking me about dates and things. No, yeah, no, no, no. No, you're good. I just ish yeah, is when we put out our first record you know because for me i i think i'm a huge music lover i love uh-huh. music right and then being here just growing up the way that i did i noticed that there was a lot of drug abuse in the music industry don't know if it was just the people that i was hanging out with because you know for me i hung out with a lot of the hip-hop crowd and then once i got older like to the 2000s or whatever is when i started getting into a lot of the alternative the punk started learning about different types of bands from i mean the craziest death metal, Fugazi, everything. Like, you know what I mean? Just started learning about a lot of stuff. So to me, you know, that's just kind of what intrigues me is the fact that, you know, you guys created this album in 94, and this was, you guys were with Wooden Blue Records at the time. Yeah, basically my roommate's, my roommate decided he wanted to be a record label. and That's what's up, dude. <laughs> you did that. And I was like, hey, I want to be a record label. Hey, let's put out your band. Cool. That's All right. awesome. All right, man, cool. I guess we're, I guess we have a record now. And at the time when you guys dropped that first record, where did you have any issues with addiction back then at that time? I wouldn't say issues, no. It, it Things hadn't progressed quite to the level that it ended up at. Okay. You know, I mean, I think like there, I could handle things when it started, you know, early. I mean, I only have my recollection of things. Yeah. Maybe other people would disagree, but I felt like I could handle things, you know, like. Still fun. It was still fun, you know. I mean, I was, I mean, you're always basically chasing the first time you recognize it's being fun and it never quite lives up to that fun, <laughs> but it wasn't like the destination of all destinations. You know, there was still life that was more, it was still enhancing things. It wasn't the thing. Yeah. It wasn't interfering with your job. Wasn't interfering your with life. my job. I could still get things done. I could still like, um, uh do 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 the schooling that i had you know now growing up a lot of times we get you know a lot of guests and for myself too we talk about whether or not i had any kind of learning disabilities depression adhd stuff like that growing up did you have any of those types of things going on during your childhood i don't believe so i i mean i've never been diagnosed with anything but then again i've never had a there hasn't been like, oh, maybe we should get him checked out kind of yeah. stuff. And I, mean, I guess I, it's hard to say, dude. Like, I, yeah, I mean, I guess I kind of had depression, but I 
don't know if I would put it on the scale of, you know, compared to what though. Like yeah. I, it's, being a teenager is hard. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even if you do have everything given to you, like on the east side of Mesa, like it's still it's still a weird time for people, and you know you internalize that. Yeah. In a way that is yours, and you know it's 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 never easy. I, I just can't wait till I can make all my own decisions. Yeah. <laughs> Life's rough. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That Depression's the relative term. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it's like it's like people's bottoms. You know, like it's it's relative. Every everyone's different. Yeah, everyone's different. Everyone, ever, you know. Yeah, exactly. And the only reason why I ask that is because a lot of times people that do have that, you know, end up kind of going down the path that I went down. I see a a lot of that working in recovery yeah, and stuff. Absolutely. You yeah, know? I don't. I mean, maybe maybe with more like in depth uh, psychotherapy, I can get to the bottom of <laughs> of uh, you know where where the inner child hasn't had needs met and stuff, but. <laughs> But I mean, if I look, I mean, and that, and this, and this is one thing that kind of kept me from reaching out for help for a long time is I didn't have any, like, there wasn't any sort of smoking gun to point mm-hmm. to that says, like, I didn't have that to use as, as an excuse of why I drank like I drank. Yeah. Cause my, my parents were really supportive, you know, like they, they were, you know, they paid for me to go to college for about a year and a half. And they were supportive of me when I said I didn't want to go to college anymore because I wanted to go sleep on floors around the country and play music. (laughs) You know, like they were supportive of what I wanted to do, even if it didn't conform to like what they thought a safe choice would be for my well-being and taking care of myself. But it was what I really wanted to do. You know, I can't think of, you know, they, they didn't hurt me. I had, I felt support, you know, I felt and and I think I that's a things. good perspective too. It is good to have that perspective mm-hmm. because it's not always like you said. Recovery is a tailored suit, right? So yeah, it's not I always mean, the same thing. It's not always a trauma or something that that brings on the addiction. You know, sometimes. No, but I mean, if I look back and on how I felt, there was always that feeling of I am not at peace with myself. Yeah, I don't know. Like I said, I can't point to any any like big flashing red light. That, that says here it is yeah. here's why it's not comfortable in your skin yeah you know, yeah that's this i mean for whatever reason that you're not comfortable in your own skin and you know you want the fastest way to change that instant gratification yeah i want to fix everything now yeah and that that doesn't really fix anything but it certainly can change things it can change it just, everything now yeah it just masks it Right, yeah, and then you yeah. got to deal with that shit later. Yeah, your disease is telling you you're fixing everything now, but really you're just changing things and not fixing anything. <laughs> so just digging a deeper fucking hole. Yeah, no, no <laughs> shit, man. So like, at what what album were we at when you felt like you had an issue with addiction? Was this during the Bleed American or was this afterwards? I mean, like I said, I think it's always been there. Okay, and it's just been raising in volume my entire life until I quit. Okay. You know, like it's just sort of like building and building thing. Like my subconscious is trying to been is, has been trying to tell me that forever. Okay. I just, you know, didn't choose to listen. So was there a main thing that happened to you to where you're like, okay, this is it. I can't do it anymore. I think I just got by, you know, and we had the uh, luck, I guess, of you know the, op- the we had the opportunities that we had. Yeah. And we did our best to take advantage of them. And some of it worked out, you know, and things got better and better uh, with, with the music. Yeah. And, you know, more people seem to be, you know, we got more uh, audience. Things kind of blew up. 
So, you know, I mean, there was, there was, there was less, there was, and I could keep doing that. So there was no reason to kind of like look at what I'm doing. Yeah. You know, like it's okay. As things are going okay. I guess, I guess I, I guess I'm okay. When did you guys start noticing that your fan base was like getting up there? Was it during like the static prevails? Is that like when you guys started noticing? You know, I think like in the, toward the beginning, uh, we started, we, we put out static prevails in the, toward the end of, 95 i think 96 96 <laughs> <laughs> yeah 96 you got your biographer over here yeah and um you know at, i got you i mean at that point we were we were booking our own tours and sleeping on floors and just you know networking with other other bands that we would run into and right. you know just building a building building um you know uh, i guess a fan base like that really slowly you know hand-to-hand combat basically Okay. I said, don't call me here. Oh, you're good. <laughs> um, real life podcast. Real yeah. Shit. I was texting out there telling Ray to tell him to shut the fuck up outside. So. <laughs> yeah. Tell him to shut up. Put a sign right there. <laughs> so, like, I know, you know, Clarity, when you guys dropped Clarity, you had gotten, you guys had split ties with Capitol Records at this time, right? Yes. I know Mark Trombino was helping you guys with the production at the time as, like, a friend, right? Just helping you guys get the album out when you started creating Bleed American? Yeah. We had made Static Prevails and Clarity with Mark. And when it, we realized we had enough material put together to be thinking about making an album after that, you know, there was really nobody else we felt like we could, we wanted to work with. Okay. And, um, you know, just kind of talking about things with him, he agreed to work with us basically pro bono because, you know, it was us. Yeah. We didn't have a label anymore. We didn't have any, any kind of like uh, advance to, to pay him or a studio. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, we basically like toured to save up the money to, to work with him. And um, which was great because like studios would cut us a break because they knew we were paying for it. And like, instead of sending a, a PO, yeah, that would get fulfilled by some labels, business affairs a year and a half later, we could just write them a check then and there for money. And they're like, yeah, okay, we'll give you a deal. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Um, instead of waiting on a year and a half for money. Yeah, totally. So um, yeah, he agreed to help us and, and we, we made the record us and him and, that was it. <laughs> and, and I mean, the reason why I asked that is just because, I mean, I could only imagine the way you guys felt being signed to Capitol Records, like, holy shit, this is becoming a reality. And then all of a sudden they shelf you for whatever well, reason. You yeah. Know? I mean, like I could see how people on the outside would think that, but really it was, it was, uh, that was sort of all happening in the background for us. Oh, like, really? we thought it was a joke that Capitol Records wanted to sign us. Like, really? Oh yeah. I mean, well, I mean, we knew it wasn't a joke, but we didn't take that seriously. We didn't say it. We didn't think at all like, oh, man, we've made it. <laughs> oh, okay. We didn't put any stock into that whatsoever. It was just like, this is going to be, um, we're going to have some funny stories about going to L.A. <laughs> wow. That was, that was our, our biggest, our, you know, like, oh, we, we, we were really grateful that we had the opportunity to make a record in a real studio instead of, instead of just like however we could. And that was awesome. We realized that was an opportunity to grow and to learn but as far as expectations of what would happen okay like we we knew we knew that it was unlikely that things were just going to explode i mean we would go to um i mean we saw how the music industry was working pretty pretty quickly we'd go to capital like the tower when that was a, a functioning thing and you know there'd be these double die double door sized posters of of like you know, whatever alternative band they had signed that week that had a, a song on the radio and they're like, 
You're like, can we help you guys? <laughs> like, we're, we're a band on the label. Oh, man. I mean, we had, a, we had a small group of people at the label that were championing us, championing us, and got what we were doing and, you know, wanted to help us. But it, it takes a lot more than that to yeah. get any real uh, Push. movement behind you. You know what I mean? Like, they'll, you know, the, the, the economics of that are, are like they'll, they'll put sort of a minimum amount of effort into working your record at radio or promoting it. And uh, if it doesn't take off, then next record, next mm-hmm. band. You know? Wow. You're a like, number. You're you're kind of a number and it only really took one blow up to 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 pay for all the others plus make them money. Mm-hmm. Man. Um what would you say your favorite album you guys made was and had the most fun making it? Oh man. I guess like I don't really have a favorite album because I think like every record that we make is my favorite album. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it I get it. You gotta I mean it's sort of a side thing to talk about, but like, you know, if you're if you're not if you're not convinced that what you're doing is your best work, then you need to go back and kind of work some more. That's cool. Yeah, I think you know. So, so did you have fun it, making a certain record more than others, or it do was you feel fun. that way about every single one you make? It was fun making those early records for Capital and the Bleed American album because Man. we were still like kids. That's you know, crazy. there was so much. There was so much more. There was so much else around our just general development as people. Yeah. yeah, that is sort of like you know your formidable years, yeah. formidable years, formidable is <laughs> something different. You put the accent in a different place; it's something different. Our formidable years, like formidable years. you know, you think back, like you you still identify as that kid that listens to those records when you're yeah. fourteen, yep, or fifteen. You know, like the, there's a part of you that that thinks that. So it's kind of that era is kind of like that for for me. Just personally, nice. you know, when we were like learning about stuff and all that was brand new and exciting, you know, mm-hmm. like, and I mean, hearing you talk about the whole thing with capital is it's, you know, for me, we've had people in here and we've talked about how with certain, you know, celebrities or whatever it may be there, they kind of found their identity through their, you know, through their artwork, through their work, whatever they do. Yeah. So like what kept you guys so chill during that time with capital records? Like how did you guys know so much about the industry to not be so like stressed that that shit was going on? Well, like I said, I think the environment we came up in of just being part of a really tight knit close community and that was really focused on doing things yourself because the less you had to rely on outside forces and entities to do your thing, the hap- the, the the better your thing is going to be, the more rewarding your thing is going to be. Okay. Um, and, you know, like I said, we just kind of carried that attitude toward our experience with capital. And also, like I was starting to say, like our, from our perspective, things were getting better and better constantly. You know, like we, we started off booking our own tours and no okay. one, nobody was there except for us and the bar staff <laughs> and the other band. But when we had friends with that other band, you know, and next time there'd be maybe a little bit more people at the show or next time we would be on tour supporting a bigger band. You know, we just had these like little small incremental opportunities and we saw the results of that. You know, that was our experience on the ground. Yeah. Like the the record label thing, it really was just happening in the background. You know, from our perspective, we saw just things getting better and better. And, you know, us us getting dropped by capital was really not preventing us from continuing to do what we wanted to do. Yeah. So when you guys were in the process of creating Bleed American, I mean, that must have been like a complete 
crazy time period during your life when all of these other labels started knocking at your guys' door. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, like we had probably had even less. Um, I mean, it was it was wild. It was definitely cool. But I mean, from our experience with Capital, we we had even less like faith that that was like <laughs> a something you should get your hopes up about. Yeah. You know, um, we definitely knew that if the the president of the company wasn't actively into, you know, you, you probably shouldn't go to that company. Okay. <laughs> you know, I mean, like, that's just, that's just it. Like, if you're not going to get attention at the highest levels, like nothing that you want to do is going to get greenlit. Okay. It takes a lot more than the cool people, the college radio department to, to make something happen at the record label, you know? Yeah. Especially when you're on, like, especially when those people are in such, they're in a business where if you're moving 30,000 records a week, they know exactly what to do with that. They had no idea what to do with us. You know, like we'd sold maybe 3,000 copies between our five releases we had at that point. Wow. You know, we had no reason to be on a label like that, but you know, the, the, the A and R person that 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 brought us there, he you know he believed in us and thought we did. That's super cool, man. And at this time, you know, during that whole creation of that album, the drinking was it still fun? Was it still something that was just you know? Yeah, it was there? still fun. It was still like something that that um was just around and not really. Um, I still considered us a medium party band. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> there was not. So you'd have a Motley Crue as the top party band. Yeah, they'd be like um Ozzy, <laughs> top partier. Top. Top level partiers. <laughs> Three hundred level party partying going on there. Yeah. We were sort of more like intro to partying. And I think that was part of my like thought process that tripped me out is because I first heard of you guys. It used to be a store. Remember when they used to sell CDs and rec and places that oh, you Okay, so Asian Sam Goody's Asian was the store here Sam at the Goody. Tucson Mall, right? And they had like one section that was probably my favorite section in the whole store where they had DVDs or VHS. I don't even think there were VHSs at the time, but there were DVDs of like bands. The Up and Smoke tour was there. And I found the Urethra Chronicles, right? That's the first time I ever heard your guys' name was on the Urethra Chronicles. It was Blink-182. Really? Yes. It was the first time I ever heard it. Didn't know you guys were from Phoenix or from Mesa. Didn't know anything about that. I didn't really hear you guys for the first time until Bleed American came out. And then that whole album was just like... From beginning of the album to the end, every single song on there is just amazing. I love that album, bro. Thanks. But knowing and and you know listening to Blink One Eighty Two, listening to Green Day, to you know Weezer, these other bands and stuff, it always seemed like you guys were just way more chill. Like, how did you not allow that <laughs> tour life and all of that shit to affect you guys? Because you uh, see, you know, the stories from all these other rockers that are doing crazy shit. I don't know. I mean, I think I think also like the. I mean, none of us were like straight edge kids, but that was definitely like a scene that was kind of adjacent to us. Like, I, I, I guess being in control, I think, was kind of um, on the outskirts of our like our psyche. I guess our our self identification from the punk scene that we came from. Yeah. Um, and you know, and plus, if, like, if if I was if I was like super messed up or something, I would definitely get an earful from the other guys about like <laughs> being messed up, and then I wouldn't do it again. You know, like some accountability. I mean, there was accountability. I mean, because you know, you're sleeping on a floor somewhere. <laughs> like you might as well make the thing you're doing good, right? Like, yeah. like uh, yeah. 
you know, I could be at home or I could be doing, you know, I could be doing something else if this isn't fun and like playing and other people not taking it seriously isn't fun. Yeah. And I was, we were talking about this before you arrived and my, my psyche was, that was like late, you know, nineties, early two thousands where there was flip phones. We didn't have these phones that could run a space shuttle. Right. And so a lot of things didn't start coming out until after. Oh yeah. The, uh, everybody's got their cameras out and filming everything that everybody's doing. Yeah. I mean, also, like, this entire time that we're talking about, like, phones weren't phones. No. Well, they were the just... internet wasn't the internet, you know? <laughs> like, you had to be a nerd. You had to wait You on. had to be... Like, it wasn't until, like, maybe... Oh, God. I think, like, mid-99 was the first time I, I ran into somebody who could who showed me what the internet could possibly turn into. We had like, one of, our, one of our buddies was like, showed me Napster. Oh, <laughs> oh okay. Or showed me, or showed me what MP3s were. And like, you could go online and you could search out all these like bootleg live concerts from, from people. Like I thought that was the, I was like, oh man, why would anyone buy records then? Yeah. If they can just download them. If they can download them for free here, like why, why would anybody like pay for this again i guess i mean it would take you two days to download one album yeah. but <laughs> it would take you two days to download an album and then what do you, how are you going to listen to it like in, you had to listen to it pretty much in front of your computer yeah until until like burnable cds came out and then but those weren't cheap either nope. you know like heck yeah oh my god we just lost everyone listening to this no <laughs> no nah, you know for me the best invention that ever came out was the ipod man once the ipod came through that shit changed my life forever because all of my napster library my limewire library just threw all that shit on there <laughs> i remember i bought like some some earlier mp3 player that it wasn't a zune i think it was made by sony but it was like disc man size mm-hmm. and i bought that like maybe two months before the I- first ipod came out i was like oh is the one that had that little blue alien dude in the it commercials? Blue, yeah, I think it was a blue alien dude. I forget what that was called. Yeah, I remember that size, shit. Size of your palm too. It was huge. Yeah, absolutely. That's crazy, man. Yeah, everything we're talking about here is like the beginnings of MP3 as a technology. <laughs> so <laughs> keep that in mind, man. Yeah, that's crazy. So I mean, I could only imagine. But still, though, you guys don't seem like the type of group that got into a lot of trouble. Maybe I could be wrong, but no. You know. I mean, but then again, I was also like I said, you know, the 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 introvert person, yeah, you know, the introvert person that felt like I could fit, I could, I could, I could coast through any situation, but I never was really there. Yeah. And that was always kind of a struggle, you know, like I'm not, yeah, I'm, I'm at this outside acceptance, but I can't really let myself feel like I belong there, you know? And like, I was never, I was never like the, God, I don't even know why I drank then, you know, like when I think about it, like, why did I even do Like, yeah, I felt I felt good to do that, but I mean, it didn't like it didn't really solve that. Like You're I kept, still I kept I'm introvert. Yeah, for some reason, I felt like I really needed to keep doing it, and and you know that became more and more. I needed to keep doing it, but it didn't really solve any of that stuff. Yeah, um, and, I guess, and I keep hearing the acceptance from everywhere else, and then I keep hearing kind of inside you of like I never really accepting myself, and and I'm I, same thing, you know, for a lot of years I couldn't accept who i was even though people would say hey you're smart you're great you do a good job you know all these things you're yeah. dead and i'm like i would sit there and i'm just like this i got these people fooled like yeah yeah i mean i feel like at every stage where there was a accomplishment an accomplishment or some sort of uh um recognition that would come in you know like uh, uh i guess i would have a, a an outward reaction to it that that people would describe as 
humility, you know, but that's not really what was going on. What was going on is like, I don't feel really worthy of accepting this praise or this compliment or this achievement. Man. So why would I be boastful or arrogant or even acknowledge that this thing happened or existed? You know, yeah. like it, it comes off as humility, but what it really is just like a, a massive fear, a, a massive fear of, uh, God, I don't even know how you describe it. If they really knew what was inside me, they wouldn't be saying this. Yeah, or just like not, not believing it, not accepting it, not not thinking it's it's like a a lasting or real thing. Did you think it was all going to just come crashing down? If yeah, maybe yeah, maybe maybe like or yeah, because if you let something like that in, um, you know, it can end. It can get taken away. Yeah. So if you never really accept it, you don't have any of that to lose when, uh, when it eventually does. Perfect. You know, there's really no healthy way. Had no healthy way to accept that kind of thing for yeah. what it was. You know, I was still putting, you know, for all the the validation that did come in, like I didn't have a place to put that that was, um, you know, sustainable. Makes and sense. There's a lot of uncertainty in the industry too. It's one of those things where, you know, I'm I'm all about, you know, going for goals and, and trying to make something better with your life. But I think the music industry is one of those industries where even if you put your whole heart and soul into it, there's still a possibility that shit isn't gonna happen. You can get ripped yeah. Out, I mean, know? and like I said, that was that was that was drilled into us right away here. Yeah. Like what you're in Mesa. Arizona, yeah. What what do you what do you expect is going to happen with this thing of yours? You know, like really? Not yeah. a lot. What other bands have come out of Mesa? Didn't well, Chester Bennington was born in Phoenix? Oh yeah, I mean there was there's like Arizona people, um, the funk I guess junkies. Like, yeah, funk junkies. Authority Zero uh, is another one. God, more recently there's been a couple, but um, back then, back then I think like the biggest group that was happening was probably Gin Blossoms. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, they're a little bit older than us though. We, they weren't really kind of part of our. John. Our East Side group, we could never get into the bars, so I, I yeah. never saw them play. <laughs> the internet changed everything too. Where I think is before the internet, you know, coming from a small town or a small place, it, your chances were a lot slimmer. But now the internet, I mean, you self promote yourself yeah. and do all this shit yourself. You know, I mean, I guess if you had the drive to do it, and somebody in your band had access to a van, <laughs> you could you could still you could still do it if you lived in the middle of nowhere. You know, like yeah. you, you, there was ways to do it, it just wasn't easy. And not a lot of people elected to to take the hard road like that, but we were just dumb enough to to think it was fun. Like we didn't care that no one was at our gig. We were on tour. Yeah, yeah. we were in South Dakota. That's I mean, crazy. that's that's crazy. Yeah, I mean, but basically, you're the biggest band that's came out of the Phoenix area. The way I look at it, that's my personal opinion. I mean, there's yeah, people. That, there's like feat. there's like famous people that have kind of adopted here, like Rob Halford and. I think uh, Alice Cooper. Alice I, don't know, Cooper. I don't know if he's. I don't know if he's. I don't think he's from here, but he definitely has kind of planted his flag here. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I don't know. I mean, it was uh, that was something I didn't learn about you guys until Bleed American had came out. As a matter of fact, I wanted to take you back to a date. This was April sixth, two thousand and two, and two of my favorite things came together in one night. All right, this was comedy and music and i had just heard your guys's you know the sweetness the middle uh, the whole album was just like holy shit you guys performed on saturday night live and cameron diaz was the host and i'll never forget being up that night watching it hearing you guys perform sweetness was like holy shit and then having the comedy and everything it was just like wow i didn't even know you guys were from mesa back then how was that experience bro you got to tell me how that experience was i mean it was i can do anything after that 
It was the most <laughs> nerve-wracking experience I've ever been through. Man. Like that. I, mm, I can do anything. Like doing the Tonight Show after Saturday Night Live is like, eh. Yeah, no. Like, no big deal. Saturday Night Live is yeah, the pinnacle, whatever, bro. Whatever, I mean, it's yeah, a little cool. stressful. Yeah, a little bit. You know, um, <laughs> Because yeah, I mean, I grew I grew up watching that and setting the 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 setting the VCR at a time when I when I thought the musical guest would be on. Yeah, you know, like because I didn't want to miss it. You know, it's like those, and then you're there, and that is weird. And here's Cameron Diaz. That's weird. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of weird. You know, like oh, here's all these famous people. I just met Philip Seymour Hoffman. That's weird. Wow. Who are like, yeah, there's Jimmy Fallon and Will Ferrell. And like, uh, I mean, uh, that's, that's totally weird. That's crazy. It's crazy. Like what? From Phoenix, all what? in New York, like living some crazy, like, I don't know. That yeah, just I mean, always. Where do you put that? Yeah. Where are you supposed to put that? I don't, I had no idea where to put that, you know, like, can you, it, can you imagine? Like, what, what does that mean? I don't know. I mean. Do you feel like you were able to accept your success at that no. point in your life? Still not? No. Still not feeling like... No probably, way. Probably would have been speaking like Waterboy, just meeting Cameron Diaz. <laughs> you know? Jeez. No. I mean... Loss. <laughs> it, I mean, it wasn't until maybe 2011 that I kind of came around to like, I guess I'm doing this. Wow. I guess this is kind of what I'm doing. <laughs> That's so cool, years man. before you believe that. I still don't quite believe it, but I mean... I. I I've accepted it, but I don't quite believe it. <laughs> Man, and Except you know, and believe it. I think it's like I don't. I don't place my self worth on it succeeding, mm -hmm. but I. But I, I guess. But I, I. I feel like I've proven that if I chase the ideas I'm excited about, and I feel like what I'm doing is, you know, the best with what I know about making records and with what I can do physically, performing yeah. and playing. Then I feel like. um that's what I can do. And people, and I've, 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 I guess I've proven myself that there is a, at least a floor amount of people that will come along the ride with me if I do that. Yeah. I mean, it's honestly, you know, to me hearing you say that, like, yeah, you're a world famous musician and, you know, you've accomplished all these things and gotten all these accolades, but you can literally apply that same mindset of, I enjoy doing music. The re to me, it sounds like the rewards, the accolades, Everything you got as a result of it is just the benefit. Going through the process of making the music, the process of enjoying what you're doing, loving what you're doing, putting your all into it, knowing you're putting your all into it is really what has driven you and continues to drive you and no matter what it is. And if that's what you do as a Joe Schmo like me, comparative, relatively speaking, that's really what life, you know. That's his juice. Yeah. That's yeah, I think like, and I didn't have a way to to exp like describe that, mm -hmm. but that is kind of what I feel like the punk rock community like installed in us as a general mindset for things, you yeah. know. But I, I didn't, I could never tell you in words like that. Yeah. that that's what I was doing, you know. That's how I was operating. But I mean, and yeah, you know, if you're if you're chasing if you're if you're basing what you're doing like you know in 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 what I do like if you are making creative decisions based on what you think some kind of external listener is going to like then you are always going to be making compromises and I think in the end they're going to pick up on that and they're going to have a harder time actually finding something they connect with 
You know, there's nothing more of a turnoff than someone chasing your approval. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. So if you're not doing it for the right reasons, you're not, I mean, how do you expect anybody else to build a connection with something that you are just doing on a surface level anyway? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. You can make, you can make a really hot track for the summer. Yeah. Totally vapid, mm-hmm. you know, but I mean, there's, there's one coming up next week. That's going to be the same, you know, like what's going to stand out that you're doing. Like, I heard uh, Jay-Z one time say, if you can reach a listener's ear, you'll have them for the song. If you can reach their heart, you'll have them for a lifetime. And that's one thing that I've always, always stuck with me is because I feel like there's something very powerful about speaking into a mic, especially when you're vulnerable. You're opening up about your life experiences. You're creating this music that comes from the heart. It's like you're having the heartfelt conversation with somebody. And I know for me, music played that huge part of like, you know, a father figure, you know, people that I could talk to being comforted, music did a lot of that for me. So Yeah, I mean, you you you're hiding behind the the deli- the entire composition of it. You're hiding behind the presentation of it. Yeah. It's a whole lot different than like like getting up in front of people and just talking. <laughs> yeah. Then when you can say the thing hidden behind a wall of guitar amps, you know, like it's yeah. you're almost adopting a character that can be a little bit more free than what it would be if you spelled it out for somebody. Like, yeah. You know? Do you think being in your position that made it harder, based upon what you just explained, to admit the problem and accept that you had the problem with this with the alcohol? I mean, I definitely knew that drinking had become more and more just a part of my everyday experience. And, you know, deep down I did know that that's not good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, but, uh, you know, I guess it took me a while to, to do anything about it. Even when I want, I mean, you know, even when I wanted to, it took me a while to do anything about yeah. it. You know, like when you're like the, the same story that I think everyone usually has about like, you know, I tried this, I tried that. I tried this, I tried that. I tried this, I tried that. I did this, I did that. And nothing actually seems to be uh, successful. Yeah. You know, there's always a way you can kind of spin it. So did you ever have any like um, law consequences for your drinking or? Um, no, I mean, and, and I guess, I guess going to Jefferson's point, like that's, that's another, that's another one of those differences, you know, like yeah. jail, prison, arrests, you know, none of those are part of my story. Uh, you know, homelessness. I mean, I guess if you don't count living out of a van for months on end, not being homeless. It's uh, by choice though. That's yeah. <laughs> you know, building, building my, building my shelter out of a box behind circle K is part of my story. You know, it's a lot of people, it's a lot of people's story when I came in, you know, um, but it's, I, I don't, it's not my experience. Did it um, fracture any relationships you had close relationships? Um, yeah. I didn't help the, the, the marriage that I had for sure. And, you know, it definitely affected my parenting, yeah. Like um, you know, I don't know. It's still un- unknown effects that I mean my kids were really young when I when I got sober and cleaned up, but I it's still like I I mean it'll be years before we really know like what kind of effect that has on them. Yeah. yeah. But I mean just you know, especially when I was gone for so long and then to come back and not really be there either, like it's it's And that was one of the questions that I had is cuz I I heard you on another interview talking about how 
you didn't want to admit to yourself. You kind of had like a vague understanding of what an addict was, right? So you didn't really want right. to admit to yourself. I believe the term was ism, that you had the ism, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I mean, like, like you know, no no trouble with arrests or and being able to – being being able to do what I had to do, the bare minimum of what I had to do yeah. kind of was one of those things that like didn't – like, well, I'm not that bad yet. Yeah. I'm not that – I can't – I couldn't – maybe I don't need to help. Maybe I can still do this on my own because I'm not that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? I could relate. Yeah. So at what point in your life did you have to admit that to yourself? You could no longer hide from it anymore. I think when I just, you know, I realized that no, I couldn't stop no matter how much I wanted to, no matter what the consequences were emotionally, that it wasn't helping anything. Yeah. I was I was beyond partying, you know? Yeah. It was just like survival. Yeah. <laughs> just to feel I straight. literally had to, you know? It wasn't like... It wasn't fun. Did you have any of the it was, withdrawal symptoms typically? Did, like that? The DTs. I didn't uh, physically scare you to go seek out help, or I didn't. Um, I didn't do outpatient. I didn't do like a, a facility. You know, I felt horrible, but I didn't have any any uh, DTs. I probably should have. I mean, it's kind of. I wouldn't recommend anybody <laughs> to to just you know. I'll second that seriously one. cold turkey out there. I mean, that's. Like uh, you know, as, I mean, you guys have the technical experience, but I've, mm-hmm. I I understand like just you know, alcohol is one of the worst, most dangerous things. To oh come yeah, off you can of die without from help. Mm-hmm. You can die from it. Heck yeah. Like yeah, I mean, you can. It, it's going to suck, but kicking heroin like you can do mm-hmm. alcohol like you 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 might die, or you know, pills you might die. Um, well, the main reason I ask is because in my experience with alcohol um for those of you who've listened to previous podcasts i didn't go seek any sort of treatment or detox or anything and again it was one of the dumbest things i could have probably done but you know some people have that experience you know to where they don't have those same physical reactions to where they might not think they need to go to a, a facility and that oh i did this on my own maybe it's not a problem you know? yeah i think i was still i mean fortunately very fortunately for me, the, the the physical withdrawal wasn't to that uh, degree of danger, and I was around people all the time. So I guess there would be yeah some kind of accountability or some sort of like, hey, you're not looking so good. Oh, hey, you fell down. Um, you know, to yeah. to call nine one one at least. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, yeah, pretty much the day that I I decided I was done, I got hooked up with with people and and went to a meeting so it was like um you know i guess i had i had i had immediate support Mm -hmm. that's good Mm -hmm. most people don't yeah i mean well you know there was plenty of days i woke up and said i'm not doing this anymore that i didn't like (laughs) seek support and didn't have it so and then that didn't go so well no and and i think that's just another example of why you know every story with addiction is important because Mm -hmm. not everyone goes through the same things you know, um, it, it comes in many different forms. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, and, and you really just have to go by um, how do you feel? Mm-hmm. And then quickly answer with some degree of honesty, as much honesty as you have. And what am I doing about that? Yeah. You know, because chances are, if you feel that way, you're not doing anything about it. And yeah. you're expecting the world to conform to what you want. And that's going to make you feel better. Was it hard to admit to, you know, your your family, your parents and stuff that you had a problem? Uh, I sort of, um, I, I guess I sort of, you know, 
came out to them about with what I was doing maybe about a month into recovery. I didn't really want to, I mean, just personally, I didn't want to really uh, add. I, no one wants to be treated with kid gloves. Yeah, no, I understand. <laughs> and I didn't want people to be freaked out by it until I had kind of a, a grasp on it and and felt like, okay, yeah, I'm doing this. I can do this. Like, I'm, I'm I've got, I had the 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 roots of it planted and I had the tools sort of in place and I, you know, felt like I had a shot. I didn't yeah. want to tell anybody until I felt like I had a shot at yeah. actually working. There's a there's a problem, but you know I got this shit under control. I'm here. I'm handling. Because I mean, I, I think that's kind of the the stigma of it, right? You tell somebody you have a problem, all of a sudden it's you know Jim. You know his career. Everyone starts freaking out, especially parents. Everyone's worried about you. So I, I can understand that mm-hmm. perspective too. You know, just you wanted to get that shit in check. I mean, it's dumb, but it's the way I felt. You know, now yeah. now I think like that's that's ridiculous. Like the more. Well, and having no like knowledge of what the ism is, no, yeah, yeah. you know, is like um, my dad told me, you know, uh, you need to go to these AA meetings, son. And I'm like, really? I'm gonna go a bunch of old men smoking cigarettes and shit, and I'm not gonna have anything in common with these people, nothing, you know. And that's what I, I thought AA was back in 2003 when I was told to go, you know. And it had, and it's nothing like that. And and I lied and said, yeah, yeah, I went. I grabbed a couple brochures, showed them, and then continued to do what I did. You know, and then had my own mind made up. I had no clue what an actual meeting was. Like, how's this shit going to help me? Yeah. Me being honest with these people? I can't even be honest with myself. Yeah. I'm going to go on the record and say, I don't speak for any 12-step fellowship specifically or organization <laughs> that claims to, to offer recovery. I'm only talking about my experience. But, um, <laughs> you know, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess... I didn't either. <laughs> is yeah. what I was, where I was going with that, yeah. you know, like exactly. And and I'm not bagging on any different type of fellowship because, like I've told Buddha, I've taken and made my own tailor made suit. What fits me might not fit you. Ain't gonna fit Jefferson. Won't fit Buddha, right? But it fits me in how I want to be today, and it's given me the opportunity to be a dad, be a husband, be all those things I want. Yeah, if you're able to be honest, mm-hmm. really honest with what is happening in your personal condition you know that's that could work yeah but but i mean that's a, that's an advanced move for sure and it's taken quite a few oh, yeah. tries it didn't yeah, happen the like first try for me you'll you know? you'll um you'll go through um yeah because like you know you'll start telling yourself that well actually your disease will start telling you that <laughs> that you know some you know things yeah. And you'll start implementing those things and you'll you'll drift and you it's not gonna work. Likes to you know? lie to us. Yeah. It's like if you if if you open that door of like I can just do recovery my way, mm-hmm. I'll take a little bit of this, I'll take a little bit of that. And, and you don't <laughs> and you don't have the tools of being honest with yourself about is this actually working or not? Do I feel better? Am I staying is this am I accomplishing the things I set out to do with this thing? Like uh like uh, that's an advanced move. You know, because your your disease will find ways to tell you that yeah, it's totally working. Yeah, oh yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's just it's just one arrest. I mean, it's not like this is a this, you know if you keep it to going to jail once, it's fine. You know, like you don't got a problem. Yeah, <laughs> right. That was the that was the game over sound first. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's a lot of game over sounds right mm-hmm. there, man. For people, that's crazy, dude. And um, so, you know, I wanted to to go back real quick and just ask you just a couple more things, just to let you kind of know. 
You know, we're talking about like MTV. We're talking about all of these things that bring up these amazing memories. And for me, MTV has always been such a huge part of my life. The Bleed American album was a very specific part of that because I had a best friend at the time. His name was Carlos, right? He is he has since passed away. And it's one of those things where I didn't find out we had split ties, right? And I didn't find out he passed away until uh, almost like two, three years after he had passed. So I don't even know what happened to him. But I remember around this time we were hanging out, you know, all the time going to different shows or whatever. And I was supposed to go see you guys perform on my birthday in 2002. That was with the the Pop Disaster tour, I believe. Oh yeah, yeah. Dude, it was it was in Phoenix and I was I was it was my birthday and I couldn't afford to go and that sh- that could have and should have been my first concert. Oh no but, way. Yeah, man, it would have been my first like like rock concert, but what ended up happening was the teacher that I had at the time, she felt really bad cuz I told her I wanted to go out there, couldn't afford to get tickets anything like that. And her husband worked at the radio station at the time. He got me tickets to go see System of a Down at KFMA Day just a month later. Oh, all right. After that. KFMA, yeah. Yeah, KFMA Day, man. So that's just a little story, bro, I wanted to tell you because I, I remember that just to think from that long ago. It just brings me back to those memories of when I was a kid, bro. You guys played a vital role in that. Well, thanks. Yeah, man, most definitely. Um, you know, being in the music industry, there is a lot of drugs you know you see so many musicians that get involved in the industry and they're just so fucked after a amount of years like yeah you know what i mean it's just it's, it's just yeah. crazy so as a father and as a husband right you're married as well like how do you sustain that balance of being able to be safe when you're on the road living the way that you do now you know you because you have a lifestyle that most people only dream of and the people that do get it for the most part especially the young ones they end up completely just running themselves off the road i think um you know it's about for me it's about just staying present and um letting things unfold without any expectations okay you know in that way every day is new every gig is unique you know even if we're playing a song that we've played a thousand times like you're just kind of doing your best to let the experience tell you what it is and you know you're responding to that you know and just putting that out there because like um you know, I am a dad. Like I, I could be at home with my kids. Uh, you know, so it's like this better be good. Yeah. And you, you better make it rewarding. So, what are the things I need to do to make it good and rewarding? It's like, well, that means playing well. Yeah. That means singing well. That means this, this, this like hour and a half I'm in town is good. You know, and just sort of like doing the things that that can set that up for success. Because that success right there provides for your family too, right? So it's if, like, yeah. Because hey, if that sucks, what are you doing? I'm staying on track because I have these little ones at home. I have a partner at home, and I'm focused. And this is why I'm here. I'm here to put out the best music ever. I'm here to provide for my family and all that other shit that doesn't matter. The women, the drinking, the drugs, the things that kind of come along with that. I have no. It's it's not even in my eyesight. Yeah, it's like I'm in Berlin today. Uh, I can either like go see something in Berlin, or I can like wake up at four, <laughs> bummed out. <laughs> like that's that's dumb. Yeah, my waste. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's just. Um, I guess having having uh, trying trying to let experience be what it's going to be, and you know, looking at that, like, like for the adventure that it is. Yeah. It kind of keeps things new. It kind of keeps things, you know, there's a possibility for it to tell you something and show you something that you've never thought of or experienced before. And, um, 
you know, you're going to miss that if you're mentally in the past or in the the future. Yeah. You know, like, um, and you're not going to appreciate it. Mm. You're going to miss the things that are right in front of you as they're happening and you're not going to appreciate it. You know, it's like, um, uh, you asked me about that Vegas show yeah. that we did or those shows. And the last one we did was probably one of my favorite gigs ever. Really? At least top 10. Just because I, you know, I just felt like I was, I was really successful in that, like, uh, mindset of like, let this unfold and be what it's going to be and take it for what it is. And it was amazing. That's awesome. It was really good. So it's, it's sort of like, um, I guess executing that practice is now the new like goal. Like how, how well can I execute that practice of being present and appreciating things that are, that are unfolding in front of me in real time? Like how, how effectively can I hold that moment that I know is going to become a memory later on and be present in that, you know? Yeah. So you had mentioned earlier that I asked you the question about if you had like a favorite album, right? And so I know for me, you know, I used to work in restaurants my whole life and I never thought I'd be able to get sober and go back to cooking for people or cooking for myself and actually enjoying it. And coming from that environment where waiting. Drugs- Drugs and alcohol are very, bat very wings. prevalent. Yeah, bat wings, brain, alfalfa sprouts, all that, Great all that movie. good stuff. Um, I guess the point is, you know, we've talked about the drugs and the alcohol being prevalent in the music yeah. industry. When you made the first album after you got sober, did you get like an overwhelming sense of accomplishment? Of wow, I can still do this sober. Like, did you feel any sort of way? I guess, like, you know, people in in creative fields, that's sort of a common thing. Like, I don't know if I can write when I'm sober. Like, mm-hmm. I need to have a beer and a Never joint, and I don't, shit. you know, like... Lines. <laughs> Never understood eh, that. Yeah, I mean, like, I can, I can see that as one more thing, like, because it's unknown. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going someplace you aren't, mm-hmm. and you don't know what's going to happen on that out there, you know? That's one more thing your disease tells you that you couldn't possibly like. Don't go over there. Yep. Like you don't. You're not. You're not going to be able to do this because like you're. You drink. Mm-hmm. You know. I, who knows what's going to happen over there? I don't know. Um, I guess you know when I was done, I was done, and so be it. Whatever, whatever unknown is out there. I had. I mean, I like. I know I'd written songs like not messed up. Like I knew like it was in there somewhere. You know for sure. Yeah. Um. Actually, you know, most of my stuff, I I didn't really, I can't recall being, you know, usually the things you write you think are super rad when you're drinking, like, they're not, you know, and you tomorrow is going to hear that and, you know, what was that, really? It's like people who smoke, yeah, I can fucking write when I'm smoking and you hear it, you're like, what the fuck are you thinking? I don't know, yeah, maybe I don't use that one. Is that English? Yeah. No, I guess like the, that being present thing was something that came to me really early in recovery, you know, I was, um, uh, I, 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 I guess I kind of made the decision, like one of the things that sort of helped me out early on, like, what are you going to do besides drinking in these environments that it's free? It's almost expected of you. Yeah. Almost applauded for how well you can tolerate the stuff and, <laughs> and function or not function. Cool. People love train wrecks. 
People pay, you know, I mean, like, yeah, that's okay. You can, you can fall apart on stage and get invited back. It's fine. I gave Jimmy a shot. (laughs) Oh man. Were you at the show where he fought everyone else in the band? I was the best. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like you could, there's someone that someone expected of you and and even applauded. But I mean, I guess like, you know, what I was going to do instead of drinking and in those environments where I knew it was everywhere. And just part of the normal thing I did was just, um, you know, I, I was going to be as present I could with every single person I ran into, mm-hmm. you know, like, okay, I'm talking to you and you're getting my undivided attention right now. Like, even if this is just like a, a surface level kind of conversation we're having, like, yeah, no, really, how are you doing? Cool. Yeah. You know, like, uh, and I noticed when you do that and people feel like they're really being listened to, like, you know, they they have a reaction that's that's like good for you to feel mm-hmm. um and it kind of keeps you engaged and keeps you doing that with people and you know they're not going to notice that you're not drinking if you're if they're being heard you know yeah. like cuz that's <laughs> you know like that's, that's not a big deal you know it's like it and you're you're occupied you know so i think like that really helped yeah it wasn't like i had no idea if, i mean it was just what i chose to do and it, it seemed like it really worked and plus like you know i guess like by the time i did end up in that environment again playing shows i i was almost you know a month and a half into into it and i was doing the work and um i was seeing the rewards from it you know i was happier i felt better about me and so like i had that momentum going to to keep to keep going and like seeing where this went and then everything kind of became the, the crazy adventure that was my life became way more adventurous just as it is, you know, and I wanted to see where that would go, you know, so I was excited about what would happen next. I didn't want to miss it. And that was kind of like, you know, gave me the momentum to, to be in those environments and not really miss like being, taking a part of that waking up and not being hung over when, awesome. when everybody else is, is like, yeah. Oh, Oh yeah, this I don't miss at all. This is I feel fine. <laughs> and you never felt ever in the industry like whenever you would stand on your two feet and be like I'm not drinking, you never felt like not necessarily shunned, but did everyone did anyone ever try to make you, you know, misery loves company. Did they ever try to make you feel like shit because you weren't drinking or were people pretty respectful? No, 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 no. I mean like um not no nobody around me. I mean, I've known people like that in the past, but I mean yeah. like it's for anybody listening like Anybody that's trying to push something on you, like, dude, what's up? How come you're not partying anymore? Like, that's just them expressing a f- like their shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the issue that they have with them. It has nothing to do with you. If they were if they felt fine about what they were doing, they wouldn't make it like your stuff all about them. Yeah. Like a bully, you know, like the like if they're picking on you for whatever reason, it's because they feel self-conscious about that themselves. Yeah. And, and you know, growing up in the hip-hop community, I think it was it's, – it's just amazing how different it is because most of the people that I saw coming up, it's almost like they wanted to fit in. Like that shit was part of the lifestyle. You're smoking. You're drinking. You know, I'll be trying to run a recording studio and I have, you know, a bunch of people that wanted to make music. Now all of a sudden they have – they brought, you know, 40s or bringing all this shit into this. It's like, dude, are we here to make music or are you guys here to party? You know, I always ran into yeah. that type of shit coming up. So it's, it's nice to hear that little bit of a different perspective, you know? Yeah. I mean, like – 
I, I definitely grew up with the examples of people like, how can this guy stand up and still do this? Like, <laughs> like, wow, he's just barely. And, and then I also had the example of people that like were all about being in control, you know? So like, I, I, I guess in the back of my head, I had that, there was that dichotomy there of like, you That's know, cool. it, that this is, yeah, it's okay. This is people do th this way too. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, well, you, you just said that was probably one of your top 10 performances you liked. Is there a single performance where you did live that your absolute favorite is? Favorites are tough. Favorites are that's one thing about that's one thing about like being present in your daily life is like things stick out. And yeah, some things are better than some things are less rad than others. <laughs> nothing nothing is really bad. That's no. cool, man. Like you're able to you're able to have a um at least appreciate on an academic level, even the most trying of of experiences that come your way, you know, like I know that when I get through this, it's going to be a funny story. Yeah. Like, um, you know, like I never understood people that freak out on stage if things aren't going their way. <laughs> Cause like it, if you're in the audience, you just, it looks like this dude's having a temper tantrum for no reason. It's always a dude, you know, <laughs> but you know, like, I don't know. You can't hear the vocals enough. Like, yeah, you're just pouting and storming off stage. Okay, great. <laughs> you showed us or you showed something, you know, Definitely now, makes you look like an idiot. And now everyone's like this. So that shit's <laughs> yeah. going to be online in five minutes. <laughs> yeah. The whole world, it's man. already on live. That's crazy shit, dude. All right, man. Well, um, Jim, before we go, brother, you know, I just wanted to ask, you know, what, it, what would be a piece of advice that you would give somebody that, you know, may, may be struggling with their addiction right now and they just don't know what steps to take? I would say the everybody's, everybody comes to that, that place in a different way. And, you know, the, uh, I guess the metaphor of a devil on one shoulder and an angel on the other that both look exactly like you mm -hmm. isn't too far off from what's kind of happening. Yeah. Um, cause they both have really convincing arguments on, on which direction you should go, mm -hmm. you know, like, um, it can be confusing and it's tough to really trust yourself with what action you should take. I would just say, how do you feel? And then honestly, like I said, what are you doing about it? Yeah. If you're, you know, and there's really no way that you're going to feel differently unless you do different things. <laughs> uh, and the, the, the things I would offer or I would suggest trying, like they come from a community. No one, no one does it on their own. And, um, you know, I think you'd be surprised how not alone you actually are in some of the things you are feeling if you don't feel particularly great, Amen. but it does take, you know, no one can, no one, you're not going to get help unless you reach out. So, I mean, maybe that's like five things. Hey, no, that's great though. <laughs> Amen, bro. That's There's like so much of this that you'd still the truth, but you just, it's, it starts with reaching. Like if you feel bad, if you don't feel great, like to whatever depths that is reach out because people are um you know you're not alone and and um you know it, it really can get better awesome thank you jim i appreciate it man ladies and gentlemen i want you guys to give it up again to our homeboy and our new friend here at the rcast mr jim atkins thank you so much man boop, boop. if you wouldn't mind could you please can you give a shout out to my son michael and my daughter melody yeah michael melody what's up how you guys doing man yeah and we also got right oh, here yeah. 
This is a classic right here, brother. This is a classic. Ladies and gentlemen, I got Jimmy World Bleed American album. Hopefully we can get, you know, get it signed if possible. Put it on the wall here. You're, you know, you're one of our first musicians here that we've had. So thank you very much, man. Yeah, thanks for having me in. Yeah, dude. And thank you for, you know, talking about all of that stuff. The Saturday Night Lifestyle. All that shit's just like, woo, I love it. That's just so cool, man. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, man. All right, guys. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been another episode of the RCast. Stay tuned for the commercial after this. You guys have a beautiful day. Much love and God bless. Peace. Thanks, Jim. Thank you. What's going on, everybody? This is Buddha from the RCast, and I just wanted to thank you for checking out this week's episode. It means a lot, and if you could share it with a friend or a loved one, somebody you need in recovery, or maybe somebody who just needs that little bit of extra positivity in their life, we'd greatly appreciate it. If you would like to join us here on the RCast, either in the studio live or online, hit us up. The links are down in the show notes of this episode, and on there, you can find direct links to our main website here at America's Rehab Campus and all of our social media platforms. Follow us. We keep the posts positive and motivational focused on recovery, health, and wellness. As you know, in this modern day and age, we need as much love as possible, y'all. And as always, if you or somebody you know is in need of substance abuse treatment, please don't hesitate to give us a call. We're open 24 hours a day, and our direct phone number is 1-833-272-7342. Once again, that phone number is 1-833-272-7342. I hope you all have a beautiful rest of your day. Much love and God bless. Peace.